Chapter Twenty Two of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two Lost. Following the escape of their human victim, the wolves had maintained a frightful and most discordant howling, as if angered beyond expression at the style in which they had been baffled of their prey. The lad sat listening to this, when suddenly it ceased. Silence from each beast came as completely and simultaneously as if they were members of an orchestra subject to the wand of such an enchanter as Theodore Thomas. What could it be? For the space of two or three minutes the silence remained as profound as that of the tomb, and then there came a rush and patter made by the wolves as they fled pell-mell. At first sight this seemed a reason for congratulation in getting rid of such unwelcome company, but Fred saw in it more cause for alarm. Very evidently the creatures would not have left the spot in such a hurry unless they were frightened away by some wild animal more to be dreaded than themselves. "'I'm afraid I'll have to use my rifle,' he thought, as he moved softly downward until he reached a point from which he could see anything that passed beneath. "'It's pretty rough to have to fire a fellow's last shot when he's likely to starve to death for it, but a beast that can scare away a pack of wolves is likely to be one that will take a well-aimed bullet to stop.' This train of thought was abruptly checked by a sight which almost paralyzed him. He could dimly discern the ground beneath, and he was watching and listening when a large figure came to view and halted directly beneath him where the first wolf had sat upon his haunches and looked so longingly upward. No noise could be heard, and it seemed to move like a phantom. But even in the gloom the peculiar swinging motion of the body showed prodigious strength and activity. There could be no doubt either that the animal was a climber, and therefore more to be feared than a thousand wolves. Fred had gained quite a knowledge of the animals of the country on his way across the plains, and in the indistinct view obtained he made up his mind that this— was that most dangerous of wild beasts in the southwest, the American cougar. If such were the case, the lad's only defense lay in the single charge of his rifle. The cougar could leap among the limbs as easily as a cat bounds from the floor into the chair. Fred had left his rifle beyond his reach, and he was about to climb up to it when the possibility occurred to him that perhaps the cougar was not aware that any one was in the tree, and if unmolested, might pass by. Accordingly, the fugitive remained as motionless as a statue, his eyes fixed upon the dreaded brute, ready to make for his gun the instant the cougar showed any signs of making for him. The animal, known in some parts of the country as the panther, or painter, remained equally motionless. It looked precisely as if he suspected that something was in the wind and had slipped up to this point to listen for some evidence of what it was. Fred, who had heard fabulous stories of the smelling powers of all wild animals, feared that the cougar would scent him out, but he showed no evidence of his ability to do so. After remaining stationary a minute or two, he moved forward a couple of steps and then paused as before. 
The lad was fearful that this was an indication that he had detected his presence in the tree and was about to make his leap, but preliminary to doing so, all such animals squat upon their haunches and pick out a perch at which to aim. This he had not done, and the boy waited for it before changing his own position. The head of the cougar was close to the trunk of the tree, and he had maintained the attitude but a few seconds when he started forward again and continued until he vanished from view. "'I hope he is gone,' was the wish that came to Fred as he peered through the leaves in his efforts to catch a glimpse of him. But the intervening leaves prevented, and he saw him no more. He remained where he was for some time, on the lookout for the beast, but finally climbed back to his former place where his gun was within reach and where he disposed himself as comfortably as possible. In less than ten minutes thereafter the whole pack of wolves were back again. The cougar had departed, and they returned to claim their breakfast. They were somewhat less demonstrative in their manner, as though they did not wish to bring the panther back again. They were scarcely upon the ground, however, when Fred noticed that it was growing light in the east. The long, terrible night, the most dreadful of his life, was about over, and he welcomed the coming day as the shipwrecked mariner does the approach of the friendly sail. The light rapidly increased, and in a short time the sun itself appeared, driving the darkness from the mountain and bathing all in its rosy hues. The wolves seemed to dread its coming somewhat as they did that of the cougar. By the time the morning was fairly upon them, one of them slunk away, another speedily followed, and it soon became a stampede. Fred waited a while, and then peered out. Not a wolf was to be seen, and he concluded it was safe to descend. He made several careful surveys of his surroundings before trusting his feet on solid ground again. When he found himself there, he grasped his rifle firmly, half expecting the formidable cougar to pounce upon him from some hiding place but everything remained quiet, and he finally ventured to move off toward the eastward, feeling quite nervous until he had gone a couple of hundred yards and was given some assurance that no wild beasts held him in sight. Now that the lad had some opportunity to gather his wits, he paused to consider what was best to do, for with the coming of daylight came the necessity for serious work. His disposition was to return to the ravine, which he had left for the purpose of seeking a sleeping place, and to press homeward as rapidly as possible. There was no time to be lost, for many a long and wearisome mile lay between him and New Boston. As was natural, Fred was hungry again, but he resolved to make no attempt to secure food until nightfall and to spend the intervening time in traveling. Of course, if a campfire should come his way, where he was likely to find any remnants of food, he did not intend to pass it by, but his wish was to improve the day while it lasted. By taking to the ravine again, he entered upon the Apache Highway, where he was likely at any moment, and especially at the sharp turns, to come in collision with the red men, but the advantage was too great to overlook, and he hoped by the exercise of unusual care to keep out of all such peril. He was on the margin of the plateau, and before returning to the gorge he thought it best to venture upon a little exploration of his own. Possibly 
he might stumble upon some narrower pass, one unfit for horses, which would afford him a chance of getting out of the mountains without the great risk of meeting his old enemies. For a short distance the way was so broken that his progress was slow. He found himself clambering up a ledge of rocks, then he was forced to make his way around some massive boulders, and in picking his way along a steep place the gravelly earth gave way beneath his weight, and he slid fully a hundred feet before he could check himself. His descent was so gradual that he was not bruised in the slightest, but he was nearly buried beneath the gravel and dirt that came rattling down after him. "'I wish I could travel all the way home that way,' he laughed, as he picked himself up. "'I would soon get there, and wouldn't have to work very hard, either.' But this was not very profitable work, and when he had quaffed his fill from a small rivulet of icy-cold water, he was conscious of the importance of going forward without any further delay. "'I guess the best thing I can do is to get back in that ravine or pass without any more foolery.' It looks as though the way was open ahead yonder. It was useless to attempt to retrace his steps, for it was impossible to climb up that incline which came so near burying him out of sight, so he moved forward with rocks all around him, right, left, in the rear, and in the front. There was considerable stunted vegetation also, and as the day was quite warm and no wind could reach him, he found the labor of traveling with a heavy rifle anything but fun. Still he had no thought of giving up, or even halting to rest, so long as his strength held out, and he kept it up until he concluded that it was about time that he reached the ravine for which he aimed from the first. "'It must be right ahead yonder,' he said, after pausing to survey his surroundings. "'I've kept going toward it ever since I picked myself up, and I know I wasn't very far away.' He had been steadily ascending for a half-hour, and he believed that he had nearly reached the level upon which he had spent the night. His view was so shut in by the character of his surroundings that he could recognize nothing, and he was compelled, therefore, to depend upon his own sagacity. Fred had enough wit to take every precaution against going astray, for he had learned long since how liable any one in his circumstances was to make such a blunder. He fixed the position of the sun with regard to the ravine, and as the orb was only a short distance above the horizon, he was confident of keeping his reckoning. "'That's mighty strange!' he exclaimed, when, having climbed up the place he had fixed in his mind, he looked over and found nothing but a broken country beyond. "'There isn't anything there that looks like the pass I'm looking for.' He took note of the position of the sun and then carefully recalled the direction of the ravine with regard to that, and he could discover no error in the course which he had followed. According to the reasoning of common sense, he ought to strike it at right angles, but just then he recalled that the gorge did not follow a straight line. Had it done so, he would have succeeded in what he had undertaken, but it was otherwise, and so he failed. I'll try a little more. With no little labor, he climbed to an eminence a short distance away, where he hoped to gain a glimpse of the promised land. But the most studied scrutiny failed to show anything resembling the pass. "'I'm lost!' he exclaimed in despair. End of chapter 22 Read by Thomas Rose